So have you ever missed your goal? Have you ever had some, some bad aim, so to speak? I think uh, I remember when I was a kid, I played organized soccer a lot, a few years at least. And, and every year at the beginning of the year, I was in the middle of the field. That's where I started off. I started off in the, in the middle of the field. And so the middle of the field is where the players are that, you know, usually try to take a, a score at the goal. You know, they're the ones that score. Interesting, though, by the end of the year, I was always in the goal. I was playing goalie. In other words, somehow from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, I actually seemed to get worse at soccer. At least it seemed that way because I seemingly couldn't aim well. I couldn't score the goal. I feel like I was a pretty decent goalie, though. And as a decent goalie, I feel like I was doing okay, but I always felt like it was because I wasn't really, really, really good. All right, my, my slides disappeared. I'm going to bring them back. Because you know what? You got to see this one. All right, watch the kid in the back. Hey, that's me. That's me. Instead of blocking soccer goals these days, I'm now trying to, to block some calories. Yeah, um, went to the doctor the first week of October and went back to the doctor the, the last week of December. So just to give you the math on that, that's, that's 12 weeks, okay? So in, in 12 weeks, um, something happened. When I got back to the doctor in December, I'm sitting there with the nurse, and, and she said, hey, I hate to ask you this, but, but I'm, I'm having a problem uh, with the computer. I said, okay. And she said, well, the, the computer is not letting me put your weight in. It keeps telling me that, that it's an error, that, that it's wrong. I was like, okay. She goes, so can I ask you, did, did you really gain this much weight since October? And I said, no, I think your computer's messed up. I don't know. It's not, no, not at all. No, actually, I had to say, yeah, I, I gained that much weight, and I'd really love if we just quit talking about it now. It'd be, it'd be fine. We can move on. How about that for something? In 12 weeks' time, I completely broke my doctor's computer. Yeah, completely broke it. The reality is, though, is I'm doing a little better. She had a few pounds here and there, but, but every morning when I get up, my scale reminds me I'm still not meeting my goal. My, my aim is still off a little bit. I'm, I'm getting there, though. You know, whether we're talking about soccer goals or whether we are talking about getting into your favorite pants again, the reality is there's a bigger question beyond that, and that's this. What is your ultimate aim in life? What is the goal of your life? What is the one thing that is the most important thing to you in life? Well, the reality is there is something that impacts every single moment of your life. It impacts every stress, every sickness, every worry, every want, every frustration, every fear, every past and every panic. There, there's something, a goal, an aim that impacts all of those things. And if that's true, then it sounds like an aim or a goal that we might want to hear about. So what is that aim? What is that goal? Well, we're going to look in Galatians chapter 1 and let the Apostle Paul help us. Galatians 1, beginning with verse 13. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. What was Paul's goal in life? His goal was to persecute Christians. 
That that was his aim. And how committed was he to his goal? He was trying to destroy the church. That's a whole nother level of passion. Paul did not want to cancel church for a few Sundays over a pandemic. He wanted to destroy the church. He wanted to wipe Christianity out. Someone said if we were to use modern day language to describe Paul, we would say that he's like the commander of a terrorist group. He was terrorizing the church. Luke wrote about him in in Acts. He said that Paul was overseeing the execution of Christians. He said that Paul was ravaging the church. He He was dragging men and women out of their homes, putting them in prison just because they were followers of Jesus. Now, today, all over the world, there are some churches that have have canceled their services. They didn't cancel because of persecution. They canceled out of precaution and an effort to be a kind and and good neighbor. In other words, part of the reason that they canceled was was an effort to to try to show some some neighborly love, to try to, to function in Christian love. Paul didn't care about his neighbor. Paul hated his neighbor. Paul was trying to destroy his neighbor. He was dragging his neighbor off to prison. Paul hated the gospel. He didn't think Jesus was a good teacher. He didn't think Jesus was a a wise prophet. He hated the church. He hated the gospel. He hated the people of God. He was savage. He was violent. He was zealous, he was a fanatic, and he was great at it. Paul's the a classic example of someone who sincerely believes in what they believe, but they are sincerely believing wrong. So, what do you believe? What do you believe? What is your aim in life? What is your goal in life? The Bible is unmistakably clear. If the aim and goal of your life is not to be right with God, then you will be separated from all that is good and holy and beautiful and satisfying forever. So if you have never repented, if you've never turned to Jesus, if you've never turned away from your rebellion, your sin against the one true, holy, perfect God, we would plead with you to do that today. Don't wait. You don't have to be in church to get saved. You don't have to be down front to get saved. Today could be your day of salvation. Today could be your day of hope. Paul says that he persecuted Christians beyond what most people could even imagine. He was wanting to destroy them. His his aim was to destroy all of Christianity. But then something happened. (laughs) Paul woke up one morning, and he was pumped. He was excited. He was zealous. He was passionate. He couldn't wait to go persecute some more Christians. And by the end of the day, he was a Christian. What in the world? How in the world could something like that happen? Listen to the story. Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 3. 
As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. Paul woke up a a persecutor of Jesus, a persecutor of followers of Jesus that day, and at the end of the day, he was following Jesus himself. He had a personal encounter with Jesus. He didn't live stream a sermon. He didn't go to church on Sunday morning. He didn't read a booklet about Jesus. He actually met the risen Jesus. And when he met the risen Jesus, he became physically blind. And in his physical blindness, in his inability to see, all of a sudden his heart could see that he was desperately, spiritually blind. Because in meeting Jesus, Paul immediately realized that the religious laws, the good deeds, the things that he was doing would not make him right with God. Paul really thought he had been serving God. He he thought he was doing God's work, but he was actually fighting against God. But but think about that. Can can you really win that battle? I mean, can anyone really fight God and win? You see, on just the right day, at just the right time, on just the right road, God was pleased that Paul meet Jesus. And God was pleased to save Paul that day. Paul might have been fighting against the Lord, but he quickly realized that he was no match for the sovereignty of God. I mean, think about the, the change in this scene. Here's Paul saying, you know what? I was persecuting. Boy, I was, I was excelling. I was zealous. I was passionate. I was a fanatic. I was destroying. And then all of a sudden, his language changes. All of a sudden, he starts speaking completely differently. He says, God has saved me. God has rescued me. God has helped me see the gospel. His life was changed. Paul was saved. And then what happened? Well, Paul became immediately the the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Jerusalem. Uh, He started his own podcast. He got a book deal. And he became the official spokesman for Lens Crafters and Warby Parker because his vision was fantastic. That's, That's what all happened. No. Ironically, according to the scriptures, Paul kind of lived in obscurity for about three years. Can you imagine? I mean, what would we do? Oh, here's this persecutor and now he got saved. Man, let's, hey, let's let him preach next Sunday, you know? Let's, let's put him on the the front page of our website. Come on, let's make a big deal out of him. Paul kind of almost disappeared a little. And then eventually, he made his way to Jerusalem. He met Peter. He met the other disciples. And he started more strategically proclaiming the gospel. And listen to what he said to the Galatians down in verse 22. 
I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. All right, step into this just for a moment, okay? Do you ever stalk people on social media? I'm not talking about in creepy ways, you know. Like you, you have a meeting with somebody that you've never met, you know, something for, for school or for work or for church or the prom or whatever. And, and you need to meet with that person. You're supposed to meet them at 10 o'clock at Starbucks or whatever it is. And, and you're thinking, well, I don't know this person. So, you know, that morning or the night before, you go on social media and see if you can find a picture of them. So, you know, you kind of know who to, to look for the next day. So, so put that in, in this moment, okay? You have a friend that says, hey, I want you to meet this guy named Paul. Yeah, yeah, I know. There's some things about him, but, but he's changed. And, and I set up a meeting for you, and, and you're supposed to meet him tomorrow at the, you know, at the, at the Pita Pocket, and, and you guys are supposed to have lunch, okay? So just head on down there. Now, now you might be thinking, hmm, Paul, the, the guy who used to be named Saul, the, the, the guy who was dragging Christians out of their home putting them in jail, and then overseeing some of them being killed. That's the guy I'm supposed to meet with tomorrow. I might go on social media and see if I can see what he looks like, you know, before I show up, you know, for some pitas and some hummus. You know, I might just try to see exactly who he is. I mean, we can feel this moment a little bit, right? They had never seen Paul. They, they didn't know what he looked like. But they had heard the stories. Listen to what he says next in verse 23. But only they kept hearing... He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. Can I I just remind you of, of one amazing reality? The power of God is still the same. The power of God has not changed. There is not a single persecutor in the universe who's outside of the reach of Jesus. There's not a terrorist outside of the reach of Jesus. There's not a socialist outside the reach of Jesus. There's not a liberal outside the reach of Jesus. There's not a conservative outside the reach of Jesus. And no matter how bad things have gotten, no matter how discouraging things may be with your spouse or your parents or your kids or your BFF or the person at work or your neighbor or whoever it may be in your world, there is no one outside of the reach of Jesus. No one. And please don't miss this truth. You are not outside of the reach of Jesus. Are you criticizing pastors who canceled churches today? Are you criticizing pastors who held church today? Are you criticizing churches that that believe in the Bible? Are you criticizing churches that live out the truth of the Bible? Are you criticizing churches because they're not what you think they should be? Or are you persecuting men and women for following Jesus? Are you dragging them out of homes and and taking them to prison or, or overseeing their execution? That may sound crazy, but that is happening today. There are still Saul's in the world. There are still people today that are dragging Christians to their death, persecuting believers. But listen to the power of Jesus, and that is this. 
that no matter who you are, no matter what you are doing, no matter what you have done, you are not outside the reach of Jesus. Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, he is still saving and rescuing and redeeming and forgiving. He's still helping. He's still keeping. He's still loving. It's who he is. Jesus is still changing persecutors into preachers. He's still doing it. But again, let's, let's kind of put ourselves in their shoes, right? So Buddy comes up to, hey, Paul's going to be at church this Sunday. You're going to be there, right? Uh, Paul, Paul, yeah. Um, you know, I may not be able to be there this Sunday. Um, this Sunday, this Sunday, I, I might have to eat some cake. You know, it's going to be somebody's birthday somewhere, and you know, I just need to observe their birthday because you know it's 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 cake. You know, I, but I'll be there next Sunday. Yeah, don't worry, I'll be there next Sunday. In other words, I, I think all of us can feel the reality that that they may have felt a little nervous about this. <laughs> that they may have been wondering, I, I, I'm not really sure about this this Paul guy. I'm I'm, I'm not really sure if, if I should be going to be around him. I'm, I'm a little skeptical of what's going on. Maybe this is some kind of hoax. Maybe this thing with Paul has been blown out of proportion. Maybe they were a little afraid. They were either fearfully afraid or they were angrily afraid. And what do they do with their fear? What did they do with their fear of the unknown? What did they do with the, the fear of frustration? What did they do with the fear of misinformation? What did they do with the fear of anger or anxiety or apathy? What did they do with their fear? Listen again. Paul says this. They were saying this. He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. It was the faith that helped them with their fear. Not just their faith, but, but the faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter and finisher of our salvation. Faith in Jesus Christ, the one who is the same yesterday and today and forever. Faith in Jesus Christ, the one who loved them and gave himself up for them. Faith in Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified and buried and resurrected and ascended into heaven. Faith in Jesus Christ, the one who is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Faith in Jesus Christ, the one who is full of grace and mercy and love. Faith in Jesus Christ, the one who one day is going to make all things New. New. No more sickness. No more pain. No more stress. No more poverty. No more hospitals. No more disease. No more dementia. No more orphans. No more funerals. And no more enemy. No more. Only through the 
faith. Faith in Jesus. You see, it was their faith that caused their fear to fade. It was their faith in Jesus and only their faith in Jesus. Rather than be afraid, though, they did something else. They had another plan for dealing with their fear. Listen to what Paul says next in verse 24. And they were glorifying God because of me. Well, bless his heart. That sounds a little bit arrogant, right? Yeah, they were glorifying God because of me. I'm I'm the new kid. I'm I'm the new celebrity Christian. They were glorifying God because of me. It's not what he was saying. Farther is from. See, there was no way for them to be able to do that because they, they weren't glorifying Paul for what Paul did. They were glorifying God because what of God did in Paul. They kept hearing these stories about how the persecutor had become a preacher. They kept hearing these stories about the one person that they thought would never, ever become a Christian. This person would never follow Jesus. He always thought it was crazy. It was a fairy tale. It was a hoax. And then they heard, hey, he's following Jesus. And every time they heard another story, they glorified God. They said, look what God has done. And therein, my friend, lies the aim and the goal above every aim and every goal. And that is this. The most important aim in life that any person can have, the most important goal in life that any person can have is to glorify God. To glorify God. To glorify God means that the first and greatest and most important goal in your life is to enjoy Him to love him, to follow him, to embrace him, and to make a big deal out of him. Why? Why would we do that? Because only God, only God, there's no other person's name that goes in that blank. Only God is perfect in holiness, perfect in justice, perfect in in grace, perfect in peace, perfect in hope, perfect in love, perfect in salvation, perfect in in wrath, perfect in joy, perfect in happiness. Ultimately, the only word that best describes God is best. He's the ultimate best. And why would you do that? Why would you glorify God? Why, why would you make it the aim of your life to glorify God? Because not only is he the best, but because he will change your life as you glorify him. See, glorifying God changes every single moment of your life. The, the glory of God reminds us over and over again, oh yeah, I remember now, this is what God has done. As the old hymn says, I once was blind, but then I fixed my eyes, and and now I see. That's how the hymn goes, right? No, that's not how it reads. It reads like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
And then John Newton says this, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. We don't fix our eyes. God does. When we realize that we are spiritually blind, our only response is to cry out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, God's grace is the sweet sound. God's grace is what saves the wretched sinner. God's grace is what seeks and finds the lost soul. And Paul was not confused about the grace of God. Paul knew that it was only by God's grace, God's amazing grace, that he once was blind, but now he could see. So in the face of fear, we look at Jesus and we keep whispering to our souls, look what God has done. Look what God has done. I read something very interesting this week about the Battle of Iwo Jima in World War II. Iwo Jima is most famously known for, for the picture. It's a picture taken on the fifth day of fighting when the American flag was being raised up. The interesting thing about that moment is that flag was not being raised in victory. You see, the battle went on for another month after the flag was raised. Three of the six men in the picture were killed in action during that battle. Tim Casey is the founder and director of Frontline Missions. He's the instigator of some videos known as Dispatches from the Front. I highly recommend that you check out the website, dispatchesfromthefront.org. You can see it printed on the bottom of of the next slide. This is what Tim said. The flag represented hope when it was raised. It did not represent victory. See, on that day, that, that battle, victory was not won after the flag was raised. But hope was raised. Hope that that battle could be won. Five days in, when it looked like there was no hope. When it looked like everything was falling apart, hope was raised that day that the battle could be won. Tim goes on to say this about the cross of Jesus. Unlike the inspiring flag raising on Iwo Jima, when the cross was raised, it seemed to symbolize only defeat and death. Yet, secured by sovereign love, And the empty tomb, Christ's work on the cross was so complete that everyone who comes to him will live forever. Only he could heal the hurt of his people, turning their sorrow into song and their death into life. Only Jesus. Only in Jesus can can hope be raised. Ultimate hope, final hope, hope for today and and hope forever. Before, during, and after your battles, before, during, and after your fears, before, during, and after your anger, 
before, during, and after your panic? What is the aim of your life? What is the goal of your life? If your aim, if your goal is the glory of God, then please know that the most vivid image of the glory of God is found in the beauty of the cross. Because every second of every day, no matter what is happening in your life, the beauty of the cross is constantly raising up hope over and over and over again. And helping us to see on our behalf that sin was canceled once and for all. So when we look upon the cross, we see the glory of God and we keep saying and whispering to our souls, look what God has done. Look what God has done. Today, tomorrow, next Thursday, three weeks from now, three months from now, three years from now, you will never find an aim and you will never find a goal for your life more worthy and more satisfying than the glory of God. Because the glory of God helps us find Jesus. The glory of God makes us from loss to found. The glory of God takes us from being blind to seeing. And when we see, there is no fear. There is no stress. There is no moment in life that truly has the power to take away the strength of the gospel. And so looking upon Jesus, day after day, hour after hour, we can keep saying, look what God has done. Look what God has done.